My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Sexuality, spirituality, shame, pleasure, and mental health. These huge topics are also hugely important, and the intermingling of them isn't very often discussed. Today, you'll hear from a brave and beautiful soul who has learned a great deal about all of this on her journey. And as she will tell you, the learning continues. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. Today's episode is brought to you by Giant Microbes, a company that makes my science geeky heart very happy. They're humorous, they're educational, they're fun. They're basically these giant versions of real microscopic life and kind of like stuffed animal versions. You can select from over 200 products, including STDs, sex education, and other health topics. They have like stuffed sperm and stuffed eggs and stuffed herpes, and they're cute and non-intimidating. They're the perfect gift for anyone with a, quote, healthy sense of humor, including lovers, students, teachers, and health professionals. To get a special discount, 20% off all products, head over to giantmicrobes.com. Use August20 as the discount code. So my name, August20 for 20%, August20. Or click the ad on my website, augustmclaughlin.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my email list. I send updates about once a month and typically include a personal note and some fun extras like freebies or discounts, upcoming news about girl boner events, and more. You can also pre-order my Girl Boner book, which I'm so excited about. It's The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, and it has takeaways for all genders. You are all welcome. You can click the book tab on my website or search for Girl Boner on Amazon. It comes out August 7th and features many topics and experts we have had here. Journaling exercises, personal essays, and a whole lot more. I'm so, so, so excited. Speaking of writing, I want to give a quick shout out to a writer's retreat that's coming up. It's in Oregon, May 26th and May 27th, and my friend Jennifer Silva-Redman, a fabulous editor and publishing consultant, is leading a memoir workshop, and she has a few spots left. So if you have wanted to tell your life story, if you are already writing your life story and could use some extra support, go over to sunriverwritersretreat.com to learn more. Now, I am so pleased to welcome Yashi Brown to the show. Yashi is an accomplished author, poet, speaker, and active leader in the mental health community. Her book of poems, Black Daisy in a White Limousine, expresses with imaginative detail her emotions, mental health challenges, dreams, and passions. She speaks all over the place and is such a revolutionary thinker. Thank you so much for joining me, Yashi. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm really happy to be sitting here <laughs> chatting with you. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Would you share a little bit about your early years? What did you learn about sex and relationships when you were a little kid? Okay. Um, nothing really. <laughs> I just kind of um, kind of learned with the pack at school. You know, I remember the first time 
I was in first grade, and like um, we lived on a street, Thousand Oaks Velarde, like outsk- outskirts of Los Angeles, and. Um, I remember there was about, it was a few boys and girls and we were like huddled. Yeah, We were by my mailbox actually. And then one of the girls was saying, yeah, you know how babies are made. Yeah. Well, the guy puts his, you know, privates in the girl. And then I said, what? <laughs> and, and I remember I was six and I had never heard of anything like that. But if, well, no, no, no. I was a little older than six. But of course, you're not necessarily going to be sat down at that very young age. But that was my first exposure to the impossibility of something going inside. I just didn't see... It doesn't sound pleasurable, does it? It doesn't sound pleasurable, and it doesn't sound physically possible. My brain was trying to really think about the anatomy part of it. (laughs) I I love that. That's very (laughs) mature thinking, though, to go like, wait a minute. The anatomy, like, what? How did bodies do that? So anyways, that was the beginning. But but that was probably the first and the last, you know, um, when it comes to talking about it, from then on, it was... um, very shy and I was raised pretty strict we were I was raised pretty strict uh, Jehovah Witness and so um not that that was the reason why we really didn't talk about sex and pleasure and anything of that nature um I think it was also a combination of just my parents that's not who they are they just are very very conservative and probably and the, didn't learn themselves right uh, right I mean they or to talk about it my parents are that that couple, you know, fell in love 13, 14 years old. As soon as they were allowed to date, 16, 17, they dated. As soon as they were legal to get married, they got married and were together their whole lives. They they raised each other and they were mm-hmm. the only ones who knew each other, you know, um, intimately. So that. That was the they one don't know. example you had, too. That was the one example I had. Not only is it rare just in general, but they don't even understand how rare they are, how rare they were. My father recently passed away, unfortunately, but, um, you know, in 2013. But I definitely think they, in a lot of ways, were very unaware of the significance of that. And so when you have that, your idea of sexuality is very strict and it's very limited. Like everyone has that one person, that one Physical experience is the only one you probably will have or should have. Which puts a lot of pressure on the person to find the one person, right? Did you feel like you had to find the one? Well, that's funny because the good thing about me is from since I was a little girl, I never envisioned a wedding, wedding dress, kids and all of that. You know, um, when people used to ask me as a kid, what do you want to do for a living? I used to say, I just want to do something great. You know, I just want to do something. I want to change, like, I want to change the way we think or I want to change, you know. And and it was like, well, you need to still have a job and make money. And I'm thinking, you know, isn't that a way to make money? Isn't that a way to make money? Well, it's exactly what you're doing, which is so awesome. You had that insight at such a young age. I I guess it was insight. But with that being said, um, the relationship thing wasn't, a number one focus, I was just always passionate about different things. First, it was gymnastics. And then when I was 13, 14, about uh, 11, 12, it was fashion. I became obsessed with um, all the fashion magazines and style and all of that, which is very directly related to sexuality. And so that was probably my outlet. That was more my outlet. And then, um, you know, that 
that was the beginning of probably my little bit of awareness with with but I but again it still didn't translate into sex necessarily so um you know between the example literal because it's one thing to say something with your lips but then there's another thing to live the example my parents lived the example of this beautiful you know marriage but at the same time there was a definite religious structure to back up that example. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about Jehovah's Witness for people who aren't familiar. I do remember, you know, people coming to our door when I was growing up and uh-huh. and sharing some of the messages, but I don't know a whole lot more yeah. beyond that. Yeah, so I guess you can say, you know, Christian faith and, um, you know, very much so based on the literal interpretation of the Bible. Everything is very much so Bible-based. So it's not really goes into tradition or, do- or doctrine or whatever we might, like, you know, Christmas isn't something that Jehovah Witness celebrate because technically, you know, the origin of Christmas is not as it's presented in society. If you go into the origin of Christmas and what it's really about, it definitely doesn't really have anything to do with There's Christ. There's no like decorations or <laughs> Yeah, or Christ or... or that day. It actually comes from another type of celebration that really isn't based on, um, you know, Christianity, all of that. So that's just one example. And so they're very much so, you know, um, witness dedicated to the literal interpretation of what their guideline or their, um, you know, um, uh, you know, structure is, which is the Bible. So that in itself is even up to interpretation, you know, at times. But if you're going to be very, you know, strict on that, um, you know, that, you know, the typical no sex before marriage, um, you know, and, um, you, you know, and the reasons behind that adultery, you know, all those types of moral compasses that, um are very, very much so adhered to. And then also, you know, smoking and um, what other things. Um, coffee's okay. You know, alcohol's okay. But, you know, drugs, all of those sorts of things are things that if a person continues to do, then they are going against what, you know, Bible, biblical moral ideas. And there's certain scriptures that are there to they they have to back up these different things. And so it's very much so if that isn't adhered to, there is a pressure um, with your environment because um, there's a very, it's a close-knit community. And, um, you know, if an individual wants to step outside of that and explore and all of that, well, then you uh, could definitely be sacrificing, you know, and uh, your relationships with your family and with those in the hall because you're seen as somebody who will, I guess, be a bad apple and affect those mm-hmm. around or be somebody who... So like a deviant, somebody who's yeah, going against Someone who's going against. And rules. so they have to be, you know, so there's a disfellowshipping process. Um, and, you Dis, know, it's Did not, you say disfellowshipping? Yeah, it's what it's called, disfellowshipping, when someone is removed from associating, but they have a chance to still come back, but in that, but that's determined by a group, an elderly, bo- a body of elders. So there's a lot of, you know... There's a there's there's a lot of that can be very pressuring for someone growing up in that to 
stay within a, a, sure. a strict confine because when your when, whole life, right? Was mm-hmm. as you said, you lose your whole family, you would lose your social mm-hmm. connections. Like this is, it wasn't just. I think sometimes when people hear about religion and they hear about some of the rules, they go, "That sounds awful. Why would you do that?" And it's like, well, there's a lot of lovely things about. All religions, probably. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And- I have to honestly, I'm, gosh, I am so spiritual. Um, and even though I don't necessarily subscribe to a title and say I am this particular religion anymore, and I don't, I have my feelings on all of that, um, that sometimes I'm open with and sometimes I'm not. But as actually the life that I live is a pretty moralistic life. And I think that does have a lot to do with my upbringing. Um, and, you know, what would be considered moral? What is that, really? That's a definition that everybody might have their own for. But, you know, pretty much in the consensus of the major society, you know, I um, live a, a modest lifestyle, I would say. And I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing. Um, and I also would have to say that um, my genuine love for people, for our universe and uh, for the planet and everything stems from the early instilling of spirituality and faith and awareness and being taught about God Mm. and being taught about how important a relationship in prayer. Those foundations, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world because that definitely led to my own exploration and and realizing, um, you know, how to navigate that that area because you have to make it your own in some way you have to make your spirituality your connection with uh, the universe god you have to make that your own and the reason why is because we all end up going through very different experiences very different types of traumas that in that induce different types of mental health challenges that have different effects on the body chemically PTSD you know chemically all of these different have give you reactions so in the end that relationship with our creator or whatever you would consider the universe is a very personal one that nobody else can put their finger on um and when i started to have to understand you know um when I started going through the symptoms of uh, pretty severe bipolar and um, depression and then eventually went into mania and lots of stages of psychosis, that is going to have a very strong effect on how you see the world, how you see people. You're never the same. Sure, You're sure. just not the same. Could you take mm-hmm. us back to that time? What was mm-hmm. your first, looking back, what was your first kind of sign or experience that you were experiencing because I know that bipolar sometimes the symptoms don't appear right away. Like, no, right? No, they don't. Um, so I started having symptoms when I was 19 years old, and it was triggered by a love interest situation. Um, that um, I'm not going to place any blame anywhere particularly, but at 19 years old, I was so innocent because of this. We we actually set the background for this discussion really well. Now you can understand why I was so innocent at such you know at age 19. And so this was very overwhelming for me, this experience. Um, But um, so there was a lot of confusion and shame around it because he wasn't somebody that was part of the same faith that I was at the time. And um, this is the clincher. I didn't necessarily want to change this human being or feel like he needed to be changed in any sort of a way, which was scary for me. And then I had to, that meant 
to question, you know, a lot of things that were going on in me, which, you know, still at the time I was just, you know, um, very committed to the faith, my faith in that in those moments. Um, but it wasn't until the deep, deep depressions started that were very extreme. Um, and uh, I didn't know why I was sad because at that point it really wasn't related to any, you know, it really was more severe. It wasn't related directly to this love. That that was maybe a trigger of all these other inner conflicts uh, and questions that I was afraid and get, felt guilty to ask myself. I see. So it sounds like you had, you could kind of validate the depression you might have felt connected to the relationship, right? Right. Like, because there was there was this obvious difficulty you're going through, right. maybe even a crisis of faith in some ways because you're questioning things. You're questioning. You're questioning a lot. Yeah. And even though, honestly, it never really developed into a relationship. It really didn't. It was very young, puppy kind of feelings and that kind of a thing, but still very strong and real that was a catalyst to so mm. much and was a catalyst to a lot of chemical reactions within my body and a lot, like I said, um, what turned out to be a depression that lasted from 19 to 23, just prolonged sadness that nobody knew about. No, so, none of my friends, this was masked. masked. So when nobody <laughs> knew about it, does that mean, so you were, was it that um, that you felt the need to kind of not hide it, but you were trying to function. You were trying to thrive and people couldn't see it because of that? Or is it that people just didn't recognize that these were symptoms? People didn't recognize these were symptoms and I didn't recognize mm. that I was experiencing a title called depression or a title called, um, you know, hopelessness and all of these things. I just knew that I was very sad and unhappy, mm. seriously in a lot of pain, emotional pain. Um, and um, nobody really noticed because they, I didn't have a lot of signs. There were a few signs during these early years, but the serious signs started to come a little bit later. Okay. And um, then when I was 23 is when I'd say I started to lose touch with reality. And I started having um, thoughts that were very disconnected from what was happening in my physical world. And um, those just continued mm -hmm. very, very intensely. Could you share what a thought of that nature might be? Um, I thought, um, what are some? I thought I could read people's minds. I thought individuals were following and were and were tracking me, um, which is very common. Um, I thought I had some holy, divine mission to take, you know. And then there were moments where I thought I was just, you know, the shit. <laughs> um, or when I could say just I thought that I was all powerful and could do so much and, you know, had this grand these grandiose types of thinkings. But that was simply in response to the, the intense sadness and feelings of worthlessness. It also sounds like that could put you in danger to feel so invincible. Yeah. Yeah, it totally did. Um, and the, that just that just demonstrated itself more in, oh gosh, again, that just, not so much in being belligerent towards people, although that started to show, the irritable part of mania started to show itself in my being combative and very short-tempered. But um, again, these were just thoughts I was having in my head, and um, 
it was really the combination of that and the intense depression and saying things that were out of my head. And then eventually I thought the world around me was a movie set and the people every single day were literal actors placed in, you know, the coffee shop that I went to or literally in the post office. Those weren't real people. So those so that's accelerating, kind of, it sounds so, like. Accelerating itself yeah. and then thinking the TVs were talking to me and delivering these um, psychic messages and lots of stuff like that. Lots of stuff like that. Um, and how is this all affecting your sexuality? Well, um, you know, sexuality was something, I have to honestly say, even before... Um, I started to have this serious bipolar symptoms, which started, like I said, after 19. Um, I was so curious because it just wasn't discussed. It literally, we didn't really talk, we did not talk about it in our house. And it really wasn't, you know, when it's, when a love scene would come on, it just make my mom very uncomfortable. <laughs> I could oh. tell she heard this, she'd probably be pissed, but it's the truth. She knows it, um, you know, and, and so that, that creates an uncomfortability in a child or in, okay, is this not a good thing or whatever? Um, and I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies and I wasn't, um, you know, so R-rated movies wasn't something that, uh, you know, so it makes you curious about R-rated movies. Um, I love to read Judy Bloom books and the Sweet Valley High books. And I don't know if you remember I all read those. Sweet Valley High, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And um, so I was about, uh, I think I was about 12 when I was reading those books. But I graduated, you know, to um, nice romance novels. <laughs> <laughs> and that was definitely that was the beginning of my learning about everything. So it's funny, too, because I've had several guests mention Judy Bloom. That's really funny. Yeah, she would have these scandalous little interludes or these scandalous. She'd throw in something scandalous to keep her little teen readers, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I think that's what that was yeah. about as well. So it was when I started to and I would I literally my mom might have known or my family, but I would hide them under my bed and I'd rip off the top cover <laughs> of these romances. Oh. And it was my way. I mean, it just, I was curious. I didn't know. And it was just very interesting, the body's reactions, you know, that I was having towards that. And, um, you know, I knew, I was told, and I was new to touch yourself. You don't do that. You don't go down there and do any of that. So I would, like, you know, totally hold back <laughs> from that, of course, even though you're having these obvious reactions. So that was about when I was... Uh, maybe about 13, right in there, 12, 13. Okay. Um, maybe even a little old. Nope, that was about it, which is a little late, I think. I don't know. Is that about right for most girls, about 13, 14, when they become curious? It so varies, it I have found. Vary. But I know that for myself, I was very curious from, you know, really being very small, maybe five, six years old, I was curious. Yeah. But the physical reactions come a bit later. But I resisted, too, because I had learned that if I touched down there, you know, you go to hell, basically. Yeah. So it took me a long time to embrace that. Same might. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I... um. And it was funny from the moment like the kids gathered on the block to talk about it. I was totally grossed out. You know, I was like, oh, I'm I remember saying I'm never doing that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That I is remember too funny. it. I was like, oh, my God. God, yuck. I am never doing that. So I was pretty much grossed out for a good five years after that, I'd say. And then, um, yeah, and then that completely changed later. For so sure. <laughs> with that as the backdrop of your journey going into the symptoms of mm -hmm. bipolar, did that influence 
how you felt about your sexuality while you were experiencing those things. Because I know I've gone through depression and I know that it affected my 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 desire for sex, my arousal, all of that stuff. And I know it can affect people who are struggling with mental health issues in so many different ways. Yeah. I think a lot of my depression had to do with being um, repressed, feeling like I couldn't let out, like I wasn't letting out. I was having strong sexual feelings and I wasn't acting. I was just, I was literally kind of self-destructing inside. And I think a lot of the sadness was originating from that. And then other things, of course, um, were triggering me. Um, but it wasn't until, it wasn't until, like I said, around when I, when the manic kicked in, the mania type symptoms where I was up and down. Well, that's when the sexuality part of it just literally I became uncontrollable, literally. I would just, uh, just kind of beyond, and I, and and this is pretty textbook for individuals with bipolar disorder or that have experienced sure. mania. That um, the body, in a sexual way, reacts extreme, and um, it it, <laughs> it really is. Um, it can be a very painful thing to experience as well. Um, how do you cope with that with, again, having a foundation and, a you know, a background in a, um, that I had? How do – what do you do with that? I imagine there's a lot more shame and guilt then because not only do you have these, these strong urges, mm-hmm. but then also as they accelerate and, you know, all these things kind of spiral off of each other. And I yeah. know we uh, have a mutual friend, Susie Favor Hamilton. Yes. And yes. She has shared with me and, and on this show about her hypersexuality, Thank which you. is very different That's from having word. a high sex drive. It's totally normal to have, you know, a hearty sex drive, to love sex and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But hypersexuality is a completely different thing. It's completely different. And it, and it can put you at risk, right? Because if you're feeling invincible mm-hmm. and you're feeling like there you go, my you girl start- boner wants it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, this 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 show really appealed to me because if there is a girl that has that, it is that syndrome. <laughs> In a very literal sense, that is literally the effect that mania and um, and hypersexuality and the chemicals in the body and what's happening to the more hormones. And um, that's why when you finally get on medication to come down from, from being manic, because it's not a necessarily enjoyable thing all the time. You feel out of control. Um, it can be very scary, especially if you are the one. Not all individuals with bipolar go into a manic, uh, serious, mania, serious mania, as well as having a psychosis aspect to it. Yeah. So if you are inclined to having some of the more severe symptoms like that, then the more intense medication you'll be given. Now, what's the first thing that happens with this medication? The first thing it does is takes away the sexual urges completely. It all it takes away all other types of feelings as well. The the ability to have emotional, you know, feeling of natural sadness. If someone passes away or if you hear of a puppy dying, that's naturally going to make you sad. It also takes away the ability to feel feel it flattens everything and the ability to cry you can't literally you're just kind of a comatose so you have zero physical sex drive at all and then you have a flattening of other kinds of emotions as well but that's the only way you know not the I don't know as of right now I guess in the way you know medical technology and all of that that's how 
you are able to come back down into this reality and all those thoughts and those thinking that people are listening, walking around, that's how they're able to tame those uh, thoughts and bring you back to this place and to clear off the uh, racing thoughts that it also induces. Well, that's what the medication does. So what you're talking about with medication is when somebody is going through uh some kind of psychosis, and that's the medication. So it's the medication when you're in a, a really extreme case and they need to bring you down. So it's not like you have to be on that same medication forever. Exactly. So that's when you're in a, that's when you're having an acute episode. Okay. And, um, you know, the, the, you know, one of the medications I was given is called risperidol, which is very, very tr- strong antipsychotic medication. And it brings you out of psychosis and it flattens everything. And when you, when you bring it out of psychosis, it's just very ironic to me how in order to bring someone out of those states of thought, those altered thinking, and then realize, well, everything I was thinking is just imagine, oh, today is Wednesday and it's three o'clock right now. Oh, I didn't, you know, you're completely oblivious to that when you're in those other states. It's almost another kind, like they impose another kind of psychosis, it almost seems like not a psychosis, but like a a lack of feeling, Yeah, which isn't, I mean, it may be safer. And I think that's why they do it. Like you aren't harming yourself then, right? but it is not happy. No, it is not happy. And what I can honestly say, you know, with acute mania, that is a scary place too. And of course, when you're in a psychosis state, that's a scary place. You're afraid, but you're having these thoughts and you can't get it. You don't, at least for me, I remember what I was thinking, but when you're in those moments, you are gone. You mm. can't take yourself out of those states um, if it's the true psychosis. And the racing thoughts is taking is not enjoyable. Um, it's very scary. And then on top of it all, you're just like a raging bull inside sexually. So that is 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 another you know not very comfortable. <laughs> I imagine. It's not very, it's very, you think all those things going on in your head and your body, then all Mm -hmm. those things going on down there. It's just, it's not what you want to be in a calm, like very aware state as you're having these nice, you know, physical feelings, you know. So, so that's, that's not really what's really happening. But it's very easy to think, okay, well, if I just have, you know, if I gratify this sexual urge, then this it's going to take care of the craziness as well. And I'll be able, you know, so. Because you're you, trying to cope. And so you're, you're trying, trying to, to cope. Yeah. And you're wanting it. So it's like, okay, well, this is, you know, and this is enjoyable. This will take away. But it really, it, it's just, it's insatiable. It's not really going mm. to work. What can you tell us about your own experience with psychosis? Because it sounds like that also helped you eventually you know, get the treatment that would be helpful for you. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened? My literally, my first episode was the most intense. And um, I had this, literally this imaginary guy I was going to meet up with that lived back here in California. And at the time I was living in Vegas because I literally had crashed and burned and had to move back home. Um with just uh, everything that was going on. But still, there was, even though all these crazy um, symptoms were showing, there was still no awareness that something was literally medically going on wrong. And um, I was there working at a job, and eventually I just said, nope, it's time for me to go. And I had this feeling of absolute euphoria and happiness and just complete mania and I thought um, this was when I thought everyone at the job were where it was a movie set and then I went back to my house and literally um, put on just a t-shirt and sweats no underwear 
<laughs> crazy, mm-hmm. and um, left and um, drove to the airport and left my car in the passenger drop-off and had plenty of money in my pocket to get the plane ticket, and I had my ID. So it's so funny how you can be completely out of your mind but completely able to do specific And you're like doing your budget. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I knew I had enough money for the plane ticket because I just left my job. Of course, get this. I left after the paycheck. (laughs) So... (laughs) I knew to wait. To the, so there was some there was some definite logic. So there was some strong. logic acting yeah. acting out because I had to you know pl- plan out this whole thing and then I ended up taking a flight to California and when I landed I got into a cab and um, he asked me where I was going and I just said the valley and I just kept going and I just kept going and then finally and my head was down and and I rem- I was I was gone it was it was definitely and he uh, he dropped me off at a motel. And how did you and get from the hotel to? He called the cops, and the cops found me, and I was I was pretty much skipping along uh, Ventura Boulevard at the time. Oh, you're kidding! And um, I found my way to my grandmother's house, and they dropped me off. Uh, mm-hmm. They started questioning me in detail, and where I was able to pull out where I lived and where you know where uh, my family was at. And um, then from there, my mom flew out from Ve- or came out from Vegas, and my sister uh, was living in California. And then I was saying certain things, and that's when. Um, it was my sister who came in and said, Yashi, we think there's a place where that'll make you feel much better because we know you've been sad and um, we can tell that something. And um, I was encouraged to go to the hospital and I was checked into UCLA. And they started to, the check-in process is just unbelievably long. I, I was unaware, but they're also trying to make sure that they're really honing in on if you need to be there and all and what is actually happening. And then uh, the head uh Pretty much the head of the department, I think it was. I can't remember. He came down and started questioning me. He asked me who the president of the United States was. Uh, started asking me what day it was, what time it was. Uh, and what else did he ask me? Um, who the president, who the vice president, or not vice president, but what time? When was the last time I brushed my teeth? So like really kind of basic facts. and That let us know the now. Ah. That make us aware of today. Reality. Sure. Reality. And I couldn't answer not one of them. Mm. I was just like stumped. I couldn't answer not one of the questions, not day, not time. And then I was checked in. And uh, that's when I was treated for the first time. Were you, when you were diagnosed with, it's bipolar one. Mm Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Was it validated? Initially, at this time, I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Oh, okay. That's what, which is very close and looks like bipolar one. And then after subsequent, there were many more hospitalizations after this, um, a few more hospitalizations. And during those is when, in through my certain doctors, they felt I had a bipolar type one. And um, that's so pretty this, common, isn't it, for people to have to go through a journey of diagnostics and symptoms Very and much trying so. to figure things out. Very much so because the most doctors don't all they don't themselves experience these conditions and so they're going based off their knowledge and their schooling and you know years of schooling and hard work but but at the end of the day certain things can look like other things certain things can be more acute because in that moment you're really severely psycho you know psychotic and then um you know if, if you're starting to observe my normal functioning and my normal everyday functioning, well, you could tell, okay, when she's not manic and when she's not going through symptoms, she's very much, if she's if she's stable, she's very much so able to, you know, focus and control. And she's very normal, like, 
is when she's in those other states. So that's the idea. If you are in a manic episode and then you're also, you know, distributing these other symptoms and these other, you know, psychosis, that's usually the marker of bipolar versus schizoaffective tends to, it's schizoaffective, you also have moods, the highs and lows. There's also a manic part of it. But then after you come out of mania, you're still having psychosis. You're still having thoughts that are, you know, unrelated to reality. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit, and you know, I don't have thoughts unrelated to reality, but I definitely have moment. I definitely know that I have certain, I, you know, my brain and certain beliefs that I have and the, the way I think someone would maybe totally think, oh, she's out of her mind. But I really do believe in the actual real aspect of those moments of psychosis. There's a lot of real things happening to the human mind in the human body. Um, I do pull from those areas uh, creatively. In your poetry. Yeah, in my poetry. And there is a space that is very um, free, freeing and is very liberating when you're in psychosis um, that helps in the creative process allows me to also know how to be free and liberating and to allow and to surrender to the creative process versus dictating the creative process or saying I got to finish it whatever I just naturally let go whenever it's Mm -hmm. time to write and that's the space that most writers and, and creatives need to start try to be, and that's your best stuff. It, that you're yeah, going totally. To get. It sounds and like it, you've learned so much from your psychotic episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. And and those episodes change you, you who you are, and the way you see the universe, and the way you you see energy. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And frequency yeah. and vibration and all of sure. those things that there's a, just a different perception that I had after all of those experiences versus before. And so that's just going to change the way you approach all sorts of belief systems and understandings out Mm. there. You know, and I'm still very, um, I don't know, maybe I'm a little prude in certain (laughs) ways. I don't know. But but definitely I have embraced sexuality. I've embraced that aspect. I've embraced a woman. If you're not, I'm I'm a bit of a dork. I'm a little bit of a shy girl. So I never really, you know... um, let go in the more, you know, I don't know, how how were we talking about it earlier? I guess just sleeping and, and uh, I don't know, being free with my body and being free to have a lot of different sexual encounters and all of that. That's just nothing that really has ever interested me, nothing part of my journey. So how do you like maintain this? Because even when you come out of psychosis and when you finally are put on the me- medications that are going to be the day-to-day medications, and I have been super blessed. I'm one of the few individuals with these symptoms and these condi- uh, mental health conditions that has found the right combination of meds so that Yay. I can, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that I can, you know. Everyone ex- deserves that. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm able to now exp- ex- experience the full range of emotions from being sad if I hear something happening on the radio or TV to being absolutely excited at the idea of, you know, a baby being born or someone, a loved one getting married, whatever the situation is that induces feelings of excitement and happiness. We want the full range of emotions. That is the human experience. And if we're not having the human experience, then something is really off. So you can't stay on those meds forever. But those meds are absolutely crucial to being able to come back to today's Wednesday, almost three o'clock. And we're here in what city is this? Universal City, um, California, I guess. So, so you know, Studio City, Universal City. So that's 
what you want. You want to be present so you can experience your loved ones, so you can experience the love interest that you have in your life in a very healthy way. You can't really do that if you're up, you know, up in outer space. You know? It makes me so happy. I had chills listening to you. I feel like it's so important, and it's also allowed you to become this gift to the world and be the person that that little girl of you yeah. wanted. I want to I want to help people. And I want to make an impact. I want to ask you a little bit about how some of the bipolar journey for you has affected your relationships and stuff like that. And first, I'd love to go into a question from a listener, which kind of ties into what you're talking about because it involves okay. religion as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a wonderful answer from Dr. Megan Fleming at greatlifegreatsex.com as well. We received this question from Amanda who wrote this. Hi, I'm dating a guy who has totally different religious beliefs than I do. I'm okay with them, but not his ideals involving sex. He believes we need to save sex, including oral sex and being fully naked together for marriage. I don't want to rush into marriage, though I see us going in that direction eventually. I want to have sex and also respect his beliefs, so this is really difficult. Mm. Amanda, here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Amanda, I completely feel for you, and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be when, you know, as I often say, we don't have that kind of chemistry or connection with everyone, and you kind of see that this might, you know, potentially um, be somebody who's in a sense marriage material, and so um, as my expression often goes, you know, you don't want to throw out with the baby with the bathwater, and yet I think it, you know, when it comes to things like religion, um, and often sometimes even financial situations or sex that, you know, in terms of frequency and all those sort of nuanced variables, you know, some people really have non-negotiables when it comes to that. And so, you know, I imagine, assume he shared this with you, you know, really nearly on and toward the beginning. Um, and I think the important thing here is that, um, you know, if, if in any way you were pushing him uh, or pressuring him to go against his beliefs, you know, in my experience, that doesn't bode well for intimacy and trust. Um, and only you know for yourself whether or not you can accept and respect his decision. And I completely understand that that is hard. Um, you know, and you mentioned, because again, there's a lot of things off the table, um, including being fully naked. But again, if you use your imaginations, what about, you know, being in your underwear or like, uh, again, even just, you know, not even having a bra on, is breast caressing included? You mentioned oral and penetration, but you didn't mention whether or not hand stimulation. So that could be external clitoral stimulation, hand jobs, you know, is, is that it potentially on the menu? You know, again, I'd really get a sense and, and think out loud how creative you both can be um, and what is on the menu and what's definitely off the menu in a way that sort of, you know, works for him in his own faith. Um, and another thing I think about is, you know, what other than sex, you know, helps you feel loved and cared for. Um, you know, you might go back to sort of Chapman's work in the five love languages. And if you haven't looked at it, you can definitely look it up online. Um, because for a lot of couples, again, it's words of affirmation, it's physical touch, again, not necessarily directly sexual touch, it could be sensual touch, um, you know, since acts of service, like in your cup of coffee. So, you know, I think you don't want to rush this choice or decision. That being said, you know your own limits and how long, because, you know, for many of us, sex is a really important part of love and relationships. And you might not feel that you can continue for X amount of time or indefinite amount of time 
Um, because again, it does take time to really figure out whether or not you bring out the best in each other and you really would see a future together. And the other piece um, that you didn't bring up, but because you have different religious beliefs, it's also often true that when people get married, it um, the custom in a sense is that uh, children are going to be raised in the wife's faith or religion. And so you know, is that even on the table or a question between the two of you? You know, would he be expecting you to sort of convert? Um, and how do you feel about that? So, you know, I think that this is a more probably complicated issue than just right now, even though the frustration right now is not having sex. But what are the other more layered implications of this? Um, especially, again, how, how you both would feel if you were to be married and raise children, you know, what, what would their faith be and what would that household look like and, you know, which holidays or customs would be um, celebrated. So, you know, I wish I had a simple solution for you. Um, you know, I, I feel the, uh, in a sense, the pain of the challenge and the frustration, but, you know, I really am just saying really communicate, let them know where you're at, see what, if anything, could be on the menu that, you know, might work for you. And if ultimately it doesn't, as hard as it is, I think, you know, it'd be about letting this guy go so that he can go on and find somebody else who where, you know, his his faith and his beliefs and his desire to wait for sex until marriage, you know, isn't a deal breaker. So again, only you can decide that. And, you know, as always, we'd love to hear how it goes. Dr. Megan, I love what she had to say. I always feel like I have to mention when anybody recommends love languages that I'm not a huge fan personally, but I I do love the idea of loving people the way that they appreciate it and respecting each other's individuality and whatever works for you is always awesome. I loved what she said about creative thinking, you know, find ways to work together and, and also being really respectful and, and not trying to pressure somebody into Mm, so important into changing. I mean, what she said, so many things that were great, but one of the things that just like totally stood out is if you pressure somebody into doing something that really goes against, you're not going to enjoy the intimate experience. The intimate experience is not going to be good for them or you. So really think this through. You you don't want to change another individual. If that is something that he's passionate about, then that, that's part of who he is. Um, a belief system is... That you know is something I'm passionate about. My belief systems and my belief systems are deal breakers unless, you know, the love of the other person they they open you up to a world that actually does you know complement or enhance whatever your belief system is. That's a possibility, and it. But you want to go based off of that. You know, opening up and talking, talking, communicating your your thoughts and your philosophies, and then maybe you guys merge into them. You want the sex act, if you do um, move forward, to come from that place, not pressuring physically or trying to seduce. I agree with that, and I think. On a similar note, it's also important to not resent a person. You know, like, you know their belief system. So if you truly accept it, Mm -hmm. I don't think you will feel resentment, right? You're not going to be sitting there, oh, I'm so deprived. You know, I don't know, uh, Amanda, if you masturbate, for example, if that's something that can be part of Mm -hmm. either your relationship together, maybe you can both self-stimulate together or from different rooms or <laughs> on the phone or yeah what you know, phone just... sex you know I don't know <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's a lot of different I mean there are different things that um 
you know, that the thing is, though, gosh, respecting someone's and honoring that person and loving them for who they are. We all want to be loved authentically for who we are. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean he wouldn't love, you know, her, but like a belief system and a certain deliberate, you know, that is yeah. unique to the individual. We have to decide our own And we have to decide our own types mm-hmm. of feelings. Um you know, there's certain things I'm just flat out, you know, not going to go down a road with another individual in a relationship aspect, you know. What is the non-negotiable for you? Oh, serious substance re- reliance issues. I mean, I want to be present. That is how enjoying intimacy and enjoying another individual who's present and who isn't. I understand the ups and downs and the mood swings, which honestly, the behavior of someone who is untreated with a bipolar disorder is very similar, familiar to someone who has addiction issues or who's up and down in their sporadic moods. And you don't know what person you're going to get that day sometimes. And the same thing, you know, with serious alcohol dependencies, it just creates a vibration in an environment that's not um, something where both people can thrive and talk about their dreams and aspirations and um, really be present in an intimate sense, which is the way that is what really makes, you know, I'm really passionate about male, you know, when you're meeting someone, the friendship aspect is, and, and I've, I've had a feeling it's like some men might feel like you just only want to be friends. It's like, heck no, that's not necessarily what I mean. But I really want to feel comfortable. I really want to feel like, oh my God, where's my friend? I want to tell him this one thing, da, 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 da. Because honestly, when you have that, if you once that that other physicals, I mean, come on, it can last like forever, day and night. Yeah. Versus meeting someone and you guys just both have this animal connection or whatever, and it's all hormones, and yeah. it's a hormone thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, no, having also something that's powerful happening in your meeting of the minds and your and your um, learning and you're into the same things or into you know learning about new things. That's where you. I'm just all about the mind, you, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it coming from that place because that's what really gets my juices flowing. That's what really, you know, um, makes me want to learn more about a person than on, you know, a more physical aspect. Sure. Having like a foundation of friendship and a real emotional synergy can set the stage for so much. I've actually read some different research that shows that couples that stay together and actually stay in love, meaning they they still have new experiences and they uh-huh. they look at each other and the parts of their brains light up, you know, the, uh-huh. the in love <laughs> stuff. And one of the commonalities they found is that they're best friends. Like they are, they don't yeah. have to be your only best friend, but they no. are they are a best friend. They're they, uh, yeah. really close to you. They're really yeah. close. And it's just, you just have fun. You yeah. just want to have fun with a person. And then yeah. you have fun in all those other, you know, you just, it, that, that's, that's, come on, what can be much more enjoyable? That's enjoyable in life. I mean, yeah. you know, just remembering the fun aspect. Um, and when I can honestly say it's like, even with what I love, and I'm so grateful to have found the right type of treatment. And then I also include, you know, meditation and all those different, um, you know, contemplation techniques to help, you know, really bring you into a state that makes you thrive. Because you don't want to just be existing on medication. That's not the, the point either. All the, all the things that makes any individual that much more healthy and present and and a, and feel good is, you know, diet you know, exercise, all of those things. Yeah, um, consciousness seems self-care. really important. There you right? go. Self-care, spirituality, yeah. and whatever helps you feel connected and centered. Those things are very, very important as well. Um, but even if, with that, it's true. There, I still have, you know, 
the uh, the condition definitely presents its physical side. I absolutely, absolutely. It, that will probably that's just a hallmark of it. And I feel like that's something that the mental health community um, needs to talk about, not just with bipolar, but maybe with some of these other conditions, the impact that it does have on sexuality, which will explain, you know, a lot of the different challenges between mates, uh, married couples, um, understanding your child or your daughter. She's not just a fast girl and she, a, a girl at school who just, you know, is the bad influence. There's there's a lot of other things that could be at play here that she really genuinely doesn't have control over. And that are manageable if she can get yeah, the right care. and if she can get the yeah. right tr- care and treatment because she probably doesn't want to feel like a slave to those sexual urges either. I mean, right. it, when you, you don't want to feel like you want to feel in control of yourself mm. as well. And you want to feel like you're making decisions based on a really good, being in a really good state of mind, yeah. not just, you know, you know, from an animalistic aspect necessarily. Not that I'm against the animalistic aspect. There's a place for it, for sure. But we definitely want to live and be balanced and be, you know, we yeah. want that. You're so inspiring. Thank you. Would you share... <laughs> You do so much speaking. You've been, you've worked, you've been to the White House. Like you've been to so many different amazing mm-hmm. organizations and and been yeah. called to to speak and to present. Uh, the last event you had, um, Brene Brown was one of the speakers. Yeah, tell us mm-hmm. what you hope people most take away from your message and and from your work. To own their story to own it, to own their journey and not be ashamed to talk about it, no matter what it might be. Because when you do that, you change whatever a perception or whatever a stigma or whatever, um, you know, whatever is out there regarding um, depression, regarding self-image issues and body shame, regarding um all of these different conditions that people just don't understand or 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 have an apathetic you know attitude towards when you own it and you explain and they're able to see a human being instead of some sort of title or label you're constantly changing the conversation you're having a positive impact on it and you're you know you're staying true to yourself and it's just so liberating to be honest and to be open it mm. feels good and when you own your story it ke- it gets easier and easier it might be difficult in the beginning but it really does get easier and easier and you want to know why because People are start saying, oh, my God, I have the same issue, too. I'm so happy you just talked about it. I'm so happy you just said something. I'm the same thing's been happening to me. I just didn't feel I can say anything. The more you hear that and the more you do that, you're realizing, oh, my God, I'm, make, I'm actually providing a change. I'm making an impact here. And that's how it continues to get easier and easier for you. So just try it. Um you know that, and that's 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 my one thing. When I, when I finally was able to do that, and the only way I was able to do that is because I knew that it was going to save a life. I didn't have too many examples when I was in the throes of depression, psychosis, and being given the title that um, you have a mental health condition called schizoaffective disorder or bipolar disorder type one. And really, the consensus, which I was told by doctors, is that you're going to have to be 
cared for for the rest of your life. You won't be able to be independent. That was the thought. And that is a true reality. That is a true reality for a lot of individuals. But it really isn't the only reality. And there's a lot of people who are thriving and who are doing very well that have a bipolar disorder, that have schizophrenia too, that have all of these conditions that people think leave you debilitated. There are a lot of individuals out there thriving. When they own their stories, it helps change these perceptions and stigmas. So well said. Everyone, please find Yashi online, <laughs> yashibrown.com, Y-A-S-H-I, brown.com. You're also, I know, on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. I was so blessed to give get a name that nobody has. So it's just my name at Instagram, at Facebook, at Twitter, at YouTube, Yashi Brown on everything. Yeah, that's how you find me. You're such a gift. And I'm trying to post more often, so just bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're enjoying Girl Bono Radio, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't. And leave us a simple review while you're there. It's very easy to even just click the stars. You can give us a rating. It takes about two seconds. And follow us on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>